0: Hello God for grown-ups listeners, It's Dan Peterson. We're trying something new this week on the podcast, sharing my sermon from Queen Anne Lutheran Church's weekly audio service. As you'll hear, however, it's not a traditional sermon. I enjoy putting it together and I hope you're able to take from it some insight and inspiration. Hope for the World: A Late night meditation. It's late. The clock ticks in my kitchen as gusts of wind brush through the trees outside. I hear my neighbor's wind chimes. For some reason, they remind me of the ocean. It's comforting. The dining room table where I work is covered with papers, notes from the clergy Bible study I attended to prepare for this sermon, A stack of Bible commentaries I read earlier this afternoon, and an array of false starts, sermons you will never hear, a homiletical graveyard of efforts that never made it beyond my loud inner critic. I feel exasperated. I don't know what to say or share with you today. I pick up my notes. Here's an idea. One of my fellow pastors at the Bible study made an intriguing point about how Advent used to be eight weeks long. I couldn't find confirmation of this online, but it's a neat concept. In November, he pointed out, all of our readings are about the end times. Keep awake, therefore, Jesus says in verse 13 of today's Gospel. For you know neither the day nor the hour. The first half of Advent here focuses on watching, anticipating the end of things as they are now. I think of a Dave Matthews song. When the world ends, he sings, Collect your things, you're coming with me. It's sanguine, a love song. But Dave Matthews and Matthews Jesus are speaking of the end in two very different ways. For the latter, the end is coming, and there will be tribulation. But this is what I love about the Christian faith. The end prefigures a new beginning. Now, I think to myself as I listen to the clock, We are on to something. The second half of Advent focuses on waiting for this new beginning. Having watched, we now wait. We anticipate first the end of the present age, and then, with respect to Christ's birth, we wait for the new beginning that will follow. Something old is passing away. Something new is coming. Here's what I learned from one of my commentaries about waiting, about finding oneself in between the old and the new. According to the New Oxford Annotated Bible, our gospel for today is an apocalyptic parable that exhorts the community to whom Christ is speaking not to lose hope or patience and remain prepared. So how does one prepare for the Lord's arrival? I recall asking my colleagues at the Bible study. Don't be complacent and think it's far away, one responded. We prepare for the Lord by doing justice, by loving our neighbor. Hmm. I like that answer. It works, and it connects to our reading. In today's parable, the bridegroom is Jesus. This is how the early Christians described him. It's a metaphor. He was the bridegroom of the church. When he speaks of how the wise among his followers keep their lamps lit with oil, this too is a metaphor. The lamp represents the good deeds that shine forth in our lives. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119. Now we can put it all together. Advent has two parts, if we think of it as eight weeks rather than merely four. The first focuses on watching, preparing for the end by living a life for others, a life of good deeds and loving your neighbor. Keep your lamp Lit. Let it shine. That's Advent 1. Advent 2 focuses on waiting, hoping, slowing down. This will be our focus beginning on Sunday, November 29th, when we formally begin the season of Advent. But here's my issue. I lack hope. It just seems like things right now are going to get worse before they get better. Do you ever feel that way? On Friday, I was in a car accident. I already had neck pain thanks to a botched surgery. Now my neck aches more, even though, fortunately, nothing was broken. I was driving back from seeing my eye doctor because of an eye infection that won't go away. I have never lived a healthier life, yet my body keeps succumbing to disease and pain. I lack hope. It gets worse when I think about my mom. This morning, after a sleepless night following the November 3rd election, I got a call from my dad. My mom, as many of you know, has cancer. She also has developed a heart condition. She was supposed to have surgery in late October or early November. But now, inexplicably, the surgeon is putting off the procedure. What are we supposed to do? Without the surgery, her chances of withstanding chemotherapy decrease substantially. Hope. Especially in a time of colossal uncertainty about everything, from the health of our loved ones, to the duration of this pandemic, to the outcome of the election, hope is our most precious commodity. I remember a philosopher named Ernst Bloch, He said to be human is to hope. I guess it's just that sometimes hope is extremely hard to find. My thoughts at this point turn back to the sermon. Sure, I can share with you the things in life that make me feel hopeless. I dread the day when, wishing to talk with my mom, I pick up the phone and there is no one on the other line. I fear what's happening to our country, how divided we are, and I worry about the even bigger problems, say, of climate change. I feel hopeless. But I can't stop there. I'm called to preach the gospel, the good news. Jesus tells me not to lose hope in these uncertain times. He says be patient and watchful but I want something a little more concrete to hope for. Maybe I think I can find it elsewhere. Recently leaders of the tech industry here in the Pacific Northwest were asked what gives them hope. Their answers ranged from new forms of collaboration within the industry to the way society has reorganized itself to protect the most vulnerable. There was talk of the human spirit and its resilience, of progress, of young people driving change. These are the things they hope for. Nobody, however, mentioned God. Sure, this is the Northwest, largely unchurched, and this is the tech industry, not a Bible Institute. Maybe believing in God is too much a stigma in this context. But the interviewees included Bill Gates, and he's a churchgoer. Why didn't he say anything about God? It really makes me wonder, WWMS, what would Melinda say? (laughs) I look across the table now, still covered with papers, Searching for a word of hope. Sure, we can hope in each other when we collaborate to solve problems. And we can place our hope in the next generation. Although I sometimes feel it places an undue burden on young people to fix problems we created. But should we not ultimately hope in God? Or is it? I pause before it comes to me. Is it that God hopes in us? Stop and consider that for a moment. What if we are God's hope for the world? It's a wild late night idea. But then again, we're the ones who say, God's work are hands. I stop. I reflect on my role as a son, as a pastor, and as a Christian. It's strangely empowering to think of God hoping in me. Try it on for yourself. How, through you, can God bring hope to others? How might you be God's hope for the world? The thought lingers as I sip the last of my cinnamon tea. I am God's hope for the world. I want to be the best son I can be to my mother, the best pastor I can be to you, my congregation, and the best neighbor I can be in my community. It's late. The clock ticks in my kitchen at the parsonage as gusts of wind brush through the trees outside. Once again, I hear my neighbor's wind chimes. For some reason, they remind me of the ocean. That's comforting. Amen. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can hear the full audio service at queenannelutheran.org, including the gospel reading, prayers, and music by our cantor, the amazing Kyle Haugen. You can also subscribe to the Queen Anne Lutheran podcast wherever you listen. I'll be back soon with another episode of God for Grownups.